So welcome to the SLAS Discovery Podcast. We're here on site at SLAS Europe 2022 in Dublin, so hence there's a bit of background noise, but we're joined today by John Wingfield from AstraZeneca. So John is currently the SLAS Secretary and is also in his day job a Principal Scientist at AstraZeneca. So welcome, John. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And I have to say, it's the first time I've been allowed out since COVID, so it's a real pleasure to come and meet people face-to-face even the ones that I normally work with via Zoom. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's been quite interesting to actually meet some of them in the flesh for the first time in a few years. It has been a bit strange, hasn't it? I think many of us have been quite overexcited about meeting people in yeah, real life. No, absolutely. Again, it's, it's the, the, the vendor hall here is, is superb. So, mm. you, you know, the range of people that you get, to, you get to come and interact with. And as you can hear from the, the background noise, the networking is, uh, is exceptional. Yeah, it's excellent. Do you want to tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, obviously, um, I've been in science for a long time, hence the grey hair. And I, it was interesting, so I, I was sitting down having dinner last night with somebody, and they were talking about history of, in science and one thing or another, and they asked me how, where I started, and I started as a microbiologist mm. years ago, before the words biotechnology had even been invented. I was doing microbiology with genetics. And the strange thing was, the person I was having dinner with was also a microbiologist, which is kind of weird, because I'm now in pharmaceuticals, and I don't do any microbiology mm. and haven't done any for a very long time. But it's always surprising when you, when you sit down and talk to people and you, you discuss your career paths, how they can start actually very similarly and then diverge really quite widely. So I started out as a microbiologist and spent a reasonable amount of time in academia, probably 10 years, and recognized that that really wasn't where I was best focused. I like a little bit more of a clear objective in, uh, in, in what I'm doing. So I decided to try and uh, transition into, uh, into something which had a bit more of a pharmaceutical uh, angle to it. In my early career, I was really interested in being able to travel. And of course, as a scientist, getting visas is really quite easy. So I spent a lot of time in my early years traveling. And then looked for a, looked for a pharma where I, where I had an opportunity to work globally. So I started with a Japanese pharmaceutical company and had an opportunity to build assays in a research center in the UK and transition them out to the HDS group in Tsukuba in Japan, just outside Tokyo. I had a fabulous time there. And that's really what led me into automation because, of course, building assays, developing assays meant I had to start to get more of an engineering feel to what I was doing. Then transitioned to AstraZeneca and really came into that organization to support their oncology portfolio post-high throughput screening, so bringing automation in to make that um, secondary screening phase much easier for, Mm. for people to deliver data in. And then my career with AstraZeneca has mostly been focused then around automation, technology, bringing in those sorts of sorts of systems, potentially to drive change in the industry to try and, and improve the quality of the data, the integrity of the data that we're generating through application of technology. And then I guess most recently, I've had the opportunity to work with some great projects such as the Acoustic Mist Ionization Mass Spec Project, which is obviously a collaboration between some well-known vendors, Beckman obviously, Waters and companies like that. And really that's where I think I've really found a renewed interest, I guess, in being able to interact both with my pharma colleagues, but also with the sort of vendor communities Mm -hmm. to try and identify the problems that I have to solve and then go and look for solutions or partners to work with and collaborate with and potentially then look at bringing new technology solutions into the marketplace. And of course, that links really well with SLAS's remit, right, which is all about bringing people together, supporting networking education for those who are coming into the space uh, as early career individuals, 
and giving them opportunities to talk to people in pharma, mm -hmm. to build relationships, to start those collaborations. So that's why I've always found SLAS to be a really good home for my interests in that sense. Oh, very interesting. I think you're right, mentioning about being quite a broad family. I know, probably the same with you, actually within the hall there'll be people who are physicists, biologists, all different types of biology, mathematicians, you know, non-scientists as well, all come together to solve the problems that we're all trying to solve. And I think that's really important because I think a lot's changed certainly since, since my time is it, when I started out just transitioning from academia. What we need now in the industry is people with that broad spectrum of background, broad spectrum of education. Mm -hmm. We don't just want cell biologists or biochemists. We need people who can do the coding, understand the AI, how to interpret large data sets, complex data sets, data sets like we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the drive as we move forwards. And how do you take populations who are traditionally trained in one skill set and educate them about the other skill sets that they're going to need if they're really going to push their careers forward? So I think that's... For me, again, the beauty of SLAS is because you have that breadth. You can talk to engineers, you can talk to biologists, you can talk to people who are interested in machine learning and AI, right? They're all here mm -hmm. under one umbrella, in one house. It's true. There's probably somebody in this hall that can help you with your problem, whatever that problem is. Absolutely. But, of course, the key is you have to explain what your problem is to them so that they can then help you, right? That is very because true. Because if they don't understand your problem... You can't get the solution. That's where the connectivity, the opportunity to network becomes really important, I think, in my opinion. I think that's really a really good point. I know a lot of the time you may not even be sure what your problem is, but actually by networking and talking, it clarifies the problem for you, and then you can find someone to partner with and Absolutely. solve it. And, of course, also, you realise that you're not the only person who has that problem. Yes. <laughs> right? which, is, which is half the battle, I right? yeah, That's very I've heard that from somebody else. Like, Brilliant. Now we've, now we've got a community. And as a community, we can solve the problem. Yeah, no, that's great. So I mentioned at the beginning that you're currently serving as the secretary for SLAS. Can you tell me more about that role? So, I mean, it's one of the sort of executive committee types of, of roles. And it's really important, I think. The board is made up of a broad set, cross section of uh, people from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Some represent the vendor community. Some represent the sort of science community. And, of course, they all give their time voluntarily to ensure their success of the organization moving forwards and much of that is really around ensuring that we plan for successful events and we have the right science working with the various different councils the, the kcdc and the spc for example in, from a european perspective and those councils and committees will work with the boards to um, you know to, to look for trends in science what's going to be the next breaking science what should the next conference be focusing on what are the, the scientific themes and threads mm. so that the board work very much hand in hand with those committees to make sure that what we're offering to the to the community that we serve is fresh interesting exciting innovative science that's really going to be impactful looking forwards and i think that's really the the, the power of the of, of the board in that sense interesting have you held any other roles within slas i go back with before SLAS was SLAS, but it was SBS and, and uh, ALA. But yes, I mean, obviously, since the merger and since the formation of, uh, of SLAS, I've, I've taken every opportunity I can. And because of the, where I am in my stage of career, for mm. example, it's about time I paid some dues back, right? I mean, I've taken advantage of, of the organization for many, many years. So it's, it's only right that uh, I should now contribute to supporting it in a way that it's supported me over the years. I was lucky enough to be involved in the ESPC, the European Science Planning Council, 
And then from there, I moved into a role with the Knowledge Content Delivery Councils as well. And I've taken opportunities when, when I've had them to, to support SLAS through the journals, for example. We might have uh, edited one of their special editions in mass spectrometry. And again, that was a really interesting experience to go through. And again, lots of opportunities to network through journals. And then, of course, as an attendee, I've contributed to some of the short courses that have been run mm-hmm. uh, at previous SLS events as well, which is really about trying you know, to contribute to the education component as well that SLS obviously supports so well. So, yes, probably over the last 10 years, I've, I've, I've taken every opportunity I can mm-hmm. to contribute wherever I can to the, uh, to the various different committees and councils. I think that's a good, a good example of a fair... Um, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of people here that start off maybe just as an invited speaker. You can work up through session chairs, track chairs, exactly. sitting on councils, all the way up to positions like secretary. So, no, absolutely, and I think you know you're completely right. As a as either as a, as a junior scientist or or an academic, you know, I would encourage anybody to take those opportunities. And you can start small. You absolutely mm-hmm. can be a speaker, come and talk at the conference. And once you start to do that, it builds your external reputation which is super important these days, right? As from a career perspective, it's something you need to nurture and, and grow as your, as your career progresses and take those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And you'll be surprised, to see, you know, once you've done a couple of presentations at conferences, the invitations will come. And then the true. next step, you know, is to, is to think about, well, organising, be part of the community that, that's, that's supporting those types of events. And you can work your way up and learn as you go and network and let's say it's a, a great opportunity within the SLAS organisation to do that because you can volunteer at any level. No, I think that's a really good point. There are many, many opportunities within this organisation to get involved. You know, whether you've got a small amount of time or whether you've got a lot of time to commit to it, there's a lot there that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to in the next three years? Well, obviously, you know, coming to events like this, particularly post-COVID, it's mm. great to start to re-establish those networks and do the face-to-face collaborations. And for me, as I said earlier in the discussion, it's about how do I solve the problems that I face today? How do I make the connections I need to make to build collaborations, mm-hmm. to generate the innovation that's going to make a change in the way I work and the way others, others work? In the farmer industry, we face significant challenges you know, in terms of profitability, the number of potential targets that we have to, to, to work with is expanding significantly. And how do you build tools that are going to make it easier to screen for drug-like molecules? Mm-hmm. How are you going to develop technologies that are going to enable you, in some cases, to close out projects really quickly, right? To, uh, to make good decisions quickly about whether or not to progress things. So I think there's lots of opportunity to, uh, to, to bring in technologies. I see things like uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, you know, just taking a foothold. It'd be really interesting to see whether those technologies can deliver the promise that they claim. So I think that's going to be really interesting. So, yeah, I think there's, there's going to be a massive growth. It's interesting listening to Steve Reese in the keynote yesterday mm-hmm. and his perspective on, you know, if COVID had happened 20 years ago, what would have been the outcome? And, of course, the technologies we've developed over the past five to ten years you know, certainly helped us in uh, meeting the, the, uh, the challenge of COVID, for sure. That is an interesting point, actually, because none of those were designed 
to meet a pandemic challenge. No. They were designed for other things, but they of were course. tools that are suitably flexible. And that's almost the beauty of human innovation, right? How do I take a tool that was developed for something else and use it for, for a new challenge or a new purpose? Yeah. yeah, really interesting. Well, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. We look forward to seeing lots coming over the next few years. Yeah, looking forward to it. Great, thank you.